Good morning, church family. I pray that you are all well, for it is wonderful to be back in the pulpit today and wonderful to be back in the Gospel of Mark this morning as well. However, before we jump back into the Gospel of Mark this morning, I wanted to first wish all of our mothers here today a very happy Mother's Day. For as someone who is a son and a father, for I'm sure of this church that moms, we would be in so much trouble without you. Therefore, all, to all to our wonderful mothers who are here this morning, I pray that through all your labors and your efforts, that your children rise up and call you blessed. And I also pray, mothers, that your husbands praise you each and every day because of your love and your fear for the Lord. For we love you, moms, and wish you all a happy Mother's Day. Now, as for our sermon today, again, we are going to be back in the Gospel of Mark this morning, looking specifically today at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, or at the wonderful account of when our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ feeds the 5,000, which comes right on the heels, church, of the death of John the Baptist, or when John Mark shared with his readers this kind of flashback of sorts in his gospel in order to display not only how John the Baptist was killed or was brutally beheaded, but also, in a sense, in order to display what really is the cost of following Jesus Christ. And thus, if you can remember, all the way back, church, to Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 29, we met a man there in the text by the name of King Herod, or that of Herod and Tippus, who ended up having an adulterous affair with a woman by the name of Herodias, who just so happened to be, church, that of King Herod's niece and that of his half-brother's wife as well. To which John the Baptist then, who had been literally called by God to call people to repent of their sins and to turn back to God, he, John the Baptist then, unashamedly rebuked King Herod here for this heinous and gross and sexually immoral sin, which ultimately then led John the Baptist to being thrown into jail. However, And just when you think things couldn't get any worse for John the Baptist here, King Herod then, after seeing Herodias' teenage daughter perform some kind of lewd and scandalous and exotic dance at his birthday party, King Herod then promised to give her whatever she wanted up to half of his kingdom, verse 23, to which via the prompting of her mother Herodias, she then asked, for the head of John the Baptist. Therefore, King Herod then immediately sent an executioner to John the Baptist, who ultimately then cut off the head of John the Baptist and brought his head on a platter to Herodias' daughter, who eventually then gave it to her mother. Thus clearly displaying here, church, that there is most definitely a cost to following Jesus Christ. However, this aforementioned narrative church about the death of John the Baptist, remember, it was simply a flashback of sorts in the Gospel of Mark that was wedged between the present storyline and the text. That storyline being about when Jesus Christ sent out his 12 apostles in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, 
And as we are going to see today in verses 30 through 44, when Jesus Christ feeds that of the 5,000. Which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. For Jesus Christ is compassionate, and he alone can eternally satisfy. Therefore, always be willing to give to him, Christian, all that you can. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. For Jesus Christ is compassionate, and he alone can eternally satisfy. Therefore, always be willing to give to him, Christian, all that you can. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to the Gospel of Mark this morning, specifically to Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, fear not, because there are literally Bibles located in each and every chair in front of you this morning. Therefore, please feel free to grab and even to keep one of those church Bibles if you do not have or do not own one. And open that Bible up at this time to page 841 and join us as we as a church family hear the Word of God together this morning. For again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, church, looking specifically at Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate. And were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, help us this morning to be in all of your word. Help us this morning 
to see this story that we have seen ever since we were in Sunday school as little children come to us this morning in new light. Let us read this story not too quickly, but be in all of the fact that our God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, sees a people who are like sheep without a shepherd, and he has compassion on them. And he gives them what they truly need to be saved. Lord, let us see this morning, Jesus Christ is the good shepherd of the sheep, as the very bread of life himself, as the greater Moses, who can care for each and every one of our needs. Father, give us eyes to see this story this morning in a depth like never before trusting in our Savior Jesus Christ like never before, the one who can literally come into this world and feed 5,000 men with just five loaves of bread and two fish. Father, I pray that you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts this morning to receive this message in your word. And Father, I pray that I have been faithful this week to labor over your word and that what I have to share this morning feeds each and every one of these dear sheep. Lord, help my lisping, my stammering tongue, give me confidence this morning, not because of my own work or my own effort or knowledge or any of that, but because the word you have given us this morning is your word, God, and it is infallible and perfect and sufficient and inerrant. Do this mighty work, we pray. Send your spirit, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, for Jesus Christ is a kind and compassionate Savior who has given this world the message they need in order to be saved. For Jesus Christ is a kind and compassionate Savior who has given this world the message they need in order to be saved. Verses 30 through 34, which reads, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So previously, church, as we saw back in Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, Jesus Christ sent out his 12 apostles two by two. And these 12 men, they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent of their sins. They casted out demons and they healed even the sick, which again, as previously mentioned, church, is just a beautiful and ever so subtle picture here of the expansion of the kingdom of God unfolding in the text right before our very eyes. Whereas even the apostles now are doing, in essence, the very same thing that Jesus Christ has been doing throughout his ministry, that being preaching and casting out demons and healing even that of the sick. 
However, as we then see in verse 30, the apostles then, they return back to Jesus Christ in order to tell him all that they had done and taught, to which Jesus Christ, in hearing this, and about all the work and the effort and the exertion that they have poured into their ministry during this time, Jesus Christ then says to them in verse 31, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Since as we go on to see in verse 31, church, that even after they, the apostles, returned back to Jesus Christ, that still so many people were coming and going that they, verse 31, couldn't even find time to eat. Therefore, Jesus Christ then, in truly understanding the physical limitations of the apostles here and the overall wear and tear of ministry here, he then determines here that it is now time for his apostles to take a break, to get away from it all, in verse 31, to get some much-needed rest. And thus, Jesus Christ and his apostles then, verse 32, went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. However, church, this plan of getting his apostles some much-needed rest and relaxation and refreshment for it most definitely does not come to fruition here. And I say that because, as we see in verse 33, many people saw them going in their boat church and recognized them in their boat church and actually ran ahead of them all while they were still in their boat church to the point that when Jesus Christ and his disciples arrived at this aforementioned desolate place, there was already waiting for them there, verse 34, a great crowd of people. And yet Jesus Christ then when he finally reaches the shore and sees this great crowd of people, he doesn't get upset with them here, church. Nor does he reject them here, church, or yell at them here, church, ignore them here, church, or simply try to avoid them here, church. But instead, Jesus Christ, in seeing this great crowd of people standing before him, he has compassion on them because, verse 34, they were like sheep without a shepherd here, church, in that they were like sheep who were just aimlessly wandering about in the wilderness, having no idea of what to do, where to go, and having no leaders among them to guide them, direct them, or to give to them what they really needed in order to be saved. And thus Jesus Christ, in seeing this group of lost and confused and leaderless people, he then, verse 34, begins to teach them because, as Eckerd Schnebel puts it, Jesus Christ knows full well that these lost and leaderless people here need to hear and to understand the good news of the kingdom of God and to repent of their sins, since that is above all else, church. Make no mistake about it, their absolute greatest need. Which is why the Puritan John Bunyan in his classic, The Pilgrim's Progress, opens the story with the main character, Christian, crying out, for what must I do to be saved? Since Christian realized after reading the Bible that the city in which he lived, the city of destruction, would one day be burned with fire from heaven. However, in the story, by the grace of God, a man by the name of Evangelist comes to Christian and he says to him, Christian, why are you crying? To which Christian replies by saying, this book, the Bible, 
for it tells me that I am condemned to die and that after that there will be judgment and that this huge and heavy burden on my back, a.k.a. my sin, will cause me to fall into hell forever and thinking about such things has caused me to cry. To which evangelist then says to Christian, well, if you feel that way, then why are you still here? To which Christian says back to evangelist, well, because I do not know where to go. And thus evangelist then gives Christian a scroll with a map on it and says to him, do you see that shining light? Keep your eye right on it, for it will lead you to the narrow gate and when you knock, someone will tell you must what to do, but you must dry up your tears and go quickly. To which Christian then began to instantly run away from the city of destruction toward that very light, toward life, 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 church, toward life that is everlasting. And the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, make no mistake about it, church, for it most certainly harkens back to that of the Philippian jailer from Acts chapter 16, who also asked the Apostle Paul and that of Silas, for what must I do in order to be saved? And thus, because that is, above all else, church, mankind's greatest need, and that of Christians' greatest need, and the Philippian jailer's greatest need, and that of the crowd's greatest need here as well. Jesus Christ then, he doesn't initially give food to these people here, or clothes to these people here, or water, or shelter, or medicine to these people here, but instead Jesus Christ here, he cuts right to the chase and gives these lost people exactly what they need in order to be saved. That being, he begins to teach them, church, the very word of God about the very kingdom of God, Luke chapter 9. And he does that here, church, because Jesus Christ came into this world to proclaim the gospel of God, to bear witness to the truth, to bring light into this dark world, and to call sinners to repent of their sins, all so that they can escape the city of destruction, find the narrow gate, be forgiven of their sins, and triumphantly enter into the celestial city for ever. Thus all hail the good shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ here, church, who willingly gave to us the only message this world needs in order to be saved. Which brings us to point number two, which is this. Christian, for you can only find eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Christian, for you can only find eternal satisfaction in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Verses 35 through 44, which reads, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to, them, said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. 
So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So not only is Jesus Christ compassionate about the spiritual needs of these people, church, but as we also see in the text, Jesus Christ also cares deeply about the physical needs of these people as well. And I say that because as we go on to see in verses 35 and 36, that when it grew late, Jesus' disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So in essence, church being that it is now getting late and that there is a massive crowd of people here without food all located in a desolate place, Jesus' apostles then prompt Jesus Christ here to stop his teaching and to send this crowd away so that they could get themselves something to eat. However, Jesus responds back to them, by saying in verse 37, you give them something to eat. To which Jesus' apostles then asked, for shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 200 denarii being about half a year's worth of wages, church. So in essence, it's a whole lot of bread that they need in order to feed this group of people here. Nevertheless, Jesus Christ still asked them in verse 38, for how many loaves do you have? To which as we go on to see in verse 38, they have five loaves of bread and two fish, which comes from church as we learn from John chapter 6, verse 9, a boy who was in attendance on that day who had five barley loaves of bread and two fish. And in all honesty, church, we aren't even talking here about the kind of large loaves of bread that you would bring home from the grocery store or the kinds of giant fish that you would see at the marketplace. But instead, what we are talking about here are five small and flat and almost personalized-sized pieces of bread and some salted, dried-up fish, which means you have just enough food here, church, to pretty much feed one little boy one decent meal. And yet Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 39, he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Or as the NIV puts it, he told his disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass, to which they sat down, church, in groups, verse 40, of hundreds and of fifties. And Jesus Christ then, he takes the bread here, and he takes the fish, and he looks up to heaven and he says a blessing. And he then breaks the bread, he divides up the fish, and has his disciples give this food out to all the people. To the point, verse 42, that they all ate and were satisfied. Which does not mean here, church, that simply because some little boy shared his five loaves of bread and two fish, 
that his example then led many others to share their food as well, which was then distributed to the masses, for it does not mean that here, church. Nor does it mean that Jesus Christ, after blessing the five loaves of bread and two fish, that everyone then got out their own meals and ate and were satisfied, for it does not mean that either here, church, nor does it mean that Jesus Christ, after breaking the bread and dividing up the fish, that everyone then got some crumbs to eat and were given, quite frankly, the smallest meal ever here, church, for it most certainly does not mean that here either. But instead, what it means is that Jesus Christ somehow and some way miraculously multiplied this bread and this fish to the point that each and every person in attendance on that day, verse 42, ate and were satisfied. Meaning, verse 44, that 5,000 men on that day, church, ate and were satisfied, or that about 10,000 people here, church, men, women, and children ate and were satisfied, so much so that even after all these people ate and were satisfied, that there was still, verse 43, 12 more baskets of food picked up and left over, for that was the level of care and compassion here, church, that Jesus Christ possessed for these lost and leaderless people. However, above and beyond church, the feeding of the 5,000 being an amazing and miraculous and astounding miracle accomplished by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the feeding of the 5,000 also here, church, quite frankly, seems to be recalling the time when the people of Israel were fed in the wilderness after their exodus out of Egypt. And I say that because, as one commentator notes, that although Moses met Israel's physical needs with manna in the wilderness, now a greater Moses has come, who is not only the good shepherd of the sheep, but who is also the very bread of life himself, who will now feed his people with an abundant feast unlike any they have ever known. For during the siege of Leningrad in 1941, church, as David Burgess writes, the Soviet populace made bread out of anything they could find, even that of wallpaper, paste, and sawdust. For thousands upon thousands of people starved to death during this time due to the fact that their diet did not afford to them the nutrients needed to maintain life. However, Jesus Christ, the very bread of life, he comes to nourish us to a spiritual strength that will never know death. For Jesus Christ, the good shepherd of the sheep, he feeds his flock in the very strength of God himself. And thus, big picture here, church. Let us all be quick to see and perceive and comprehend that Jesus Christ as the good shepherd of the sheep, as the bread of life, and as the greater Moses is the only one out there who can meet all the needs of his people, who can care for them abundantly, and who can give to them true and complete and perfect satisfaction in his eternal kingdom forever. For since Jesus Christ is the one church who will faithfully lead God's people so that they will not be like sheep, without a shepherd.
on us as we begin to close this morning, church. I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first. And non-Christian, make no mistake about it, for if Jesus Christ is not the one leading you this morning, or guiding you this morning, or is not Lord over your life this morning, then quite simply, non-Christian, you are being led into the depths of hell forever. However, if you are sitting there this morning, non-Christian, wondering in your heart of hearts at this time, for what must you do to be saved Well, the only answer to that question now and forevermore is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ in order to be saved. And I say that because Jesus Christ, as truly God and as truly man, he came into this world, non-Christian, to preach the gospel of God, to seek and to save the lost and to forgive sinners of their very sins. And he did that, non-Christian, by initially living for them the life that they could never live. And what I mean by that is that although Jesus Christ was tempted by sin, just like you and I, non-Christian, Jesus Christ unlike you and I, he never, ever sinned, but instead lived a sinless and righteous and holy life here on earth and thus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law of God in its entirety for the children of God. However, non-Christian, the work of Jesus Christ, it did not end there. Because Jesus Christ not only lived the life that we as sinners could not live, But he also then paid the punishment for sinners that we could not pay. And he did that, non-Christian, by taking our sins upon himself and by being nailed to a cross at Calvary and dying a sinner's death in our place and as our very substitute, even though, non-Christian, Jesus Christ never sinned. And you know what, non-Christian? It worked. And I say that because Jesus Christ is this perfect and spotless and sinless sacrifice. He appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And in order to prove that that was the case, non-Christian, Jesus Christ then, who was pierced and crushed and flogged, crucified, died and buried, that three days later then, non-Christian, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sins. Let today be the day that you repent of your sins and place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sins, as the only one who paid the price for your sins, who died for your sins and can clothe you then in his his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day, I promise you, that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, Brother Christian, Sister Christian, so far today, we have considered the compassion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who came into this world to preach the gospel, to bear witness to the truth, to bring light into this dark world, and to give us the message needed in order to be saved. 
And furthermore, we've also considered that Jesus Christ is the only one church who can give us complete and eternal satisfaction forever. However, as we conclude this morning, I'd like to do so by considering briefly verses 36 through 38. Or when after Jesus' apostles said to him, in essence, that he should send the crowd away in order to get some food, Jesus Christ then responded to them by saying in verse 37 that they should give the crowd something to eat. And thus when Jesus' apostles then eventually realized that they do not have the means in and of themselves to feed these 5,000 men, Jesus Christ then simply says to them in verse 38, for how many loaves do you have? To which they, his apostles, say five loaves of bread and two fish. And it's as if Jesus Christ is suggesting to them here, churches, R.C. Sproul so beautifully writes, then why don't you take what you do have and let me bless it? And then we'll see what God does when you give him what you have. For you do what you can do and give what you can give and then get out of the way and watch God work. And yet, when God calls us, brother Christian, sister Christian, to start say, discipling someone. For how often do we say, God, I'm not able to do that because quite simply, I do not have enough wisdom for that. Or when God calls us, Christian, to start, say, some type of ministry here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. For how often do we say, God, I'm not able to do that because I simply don't have the time needed in order to make it as perfect as I want. Or even when God calls us, Christian, to simply go to Bible study, for how often do we say, God, I'm not able to do that because I simply don't know enough at this time. Because if that is you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, concerned about not having enough time or talent or wisdom to do what God has called you to do, then lovingly, Christian, let me encourage you this morning to just give to God the talent that you do possess and the time that you do possess and the zeal and the effort and the energy that you do possess and let your God then, Christian, take care of the rest. Because when God calls you, Christian, to encourage his people and to minister to his people and to teach his people, serve his people, love his people, and disciple his people, he's not calling you, Christian, to do it in the strength of your own might, but instead he's calling you, Christian, to faithfully rely on the strength of his might, the same power, church, that rose Jesus Christ from the grave. And thus, when you sense the God of all grace, Christian, calling you to minister to one another, or to encourage one another, disciple one another, teach one another, or to simply go out of your way to love one another, do not be quick, Christian, to hide your talent in the ground simply because you do not think that you have enough of it. But 
but instead take what talent and time and wisdom that you have been given, Christian, and invest it faithfully into your God's kingdom, knowing full well that if your God can feed 5,000 men with just five loaves of bread and that of two fish, then he most assuredly can accomplish, Christian, whatever he desires with the talents, gifts, and time that he has already faithfully given to you. And thus it is my prayer that we as a church body do not let our own self-doubts concerning our lack of time or talents or gifts or skills keep us from serving you, God, in the way that you have called us to. For let us instead, Father, realize that you are a compassionate and good God who calls the weak to shame the strong, who calls the foolish to shame the wise, and who calls the lowly so that no one may boast. Therefore, since you have pulled us out of the darkness and into the light of your kingdom, Lord, where we will dwell forever, let us then be willing to follow your calling in all that we do, since we know that you will most definitely give us the grace we need to complete every good work you have called us to, and furthermore, because we know that if you can feed 5,000 men with just five loaves of bread and two little fish, then you most assuredly can use us, Father, to complete and accomplish whatever you wish. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, give us a greater view of you this morning. Give us a higher view of you this morning. Father, let us see you as a supernatural and eternal and sovereign and omnipotent and omniscient and omnibenevolent God. Lord, forgive us for continuing to pull you down to our level. But instead, give us eyes to see you, Father, as the God of the universe. The one who nothing is impossible for. And Father, we can do this. We can see you. We can love you. And we can desire to follow your call. Because you loved us first. And sent your son into this world. The good shepherd of the sheep. The bread of life the greater Moses, the one who can care for all the needs of his people, be compassionate in abundance and give us eternal satisfaction in your kingdom, at your table forever. Open our eyes this morning, Father, to see you for who you are, the great I am. In Jesus' name, amen.